0: Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 9, verse 32 through 43. Hear the word of the Lord. As Peter traveled around the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lida was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lida, they sent two men to him and urged him, Please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room, Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called to the believers, especially those widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time, with a tanner named Simon." The Word of the Lord.
1: Amen. Thank you, Dave. Thank you to our music team as well, always serving so faithfully. Dana, thanks for stepping in this morning. Alice and her family are on vacation this week, and so always great to have Dana come in and lead our team for us. And uh, for those of you that are watching online, thank you for being a part of our service today, wherever you are. And just say, too, if, if you are watching online, either right now, live, or later on, you w- pick up this service, if there's anything we can do to serve you, to help you, to get you connected, please reach out to us, let us know. We would love to have that opportunity to, to help, even, uh, even from wherever you may be um, watching this service. So, for those of you that are here, welcome, Trinity. Great to see you here, and uh, thank you for being a part of our worship service and we want to take a moment, pause, pray, and then we're going to jump right into this amazing passage that God has for us today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You that You have preserved and provided this record of Your work through the centuries for Your, your hand and your, your history with us as the world. Thank You for Your re- revealing of Yourself and Your plan of salvation and uh, Lord, I pray that we would truly be grateful. Um, we, we say that every Sunday as part of when we hear the reading of your word, we say thanks be to God. Lord, we want this gratitude to be genuine from us that you have given your word to us. And as we come to your word, Lord, we pray that you would teach us and um, transform us through this time together in these next few moments. I pray that you would guard my words, help me to accurately, rightly be the spokesperson, just the, the conduit for Your Word to travel through today, and that it would be the power of Your living Word and, and Your Spirit at work in us to accomplish the transforming work that You want to do, to teach us about Yourself. And so we come with that attitude, with that mindset, with that request, and with thanksgiving. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Some of you that are regulars here at Trinity, you know that on Usually the weekend when I'm going to preach, Beth and I will, will put together a video. It's kind of become a, a pandemic uh, um process here. We started it early on just as a way to, because we had to send out information about our online service. And so it just kind of became a thing that we did each weekend. So we have fun with it. And hopefully you have a little fun watching it, just kind of a little teaser for the sermon. But normally I don't usually show it again, but this morning I want you to see it, just in case you missed it yesterday. Here's the short video that I recorded with our grandson Mark actually on Friday this week when he was visiting our house. Hey, Trinity. It's Pastor Jeff and Mark here, right? What are we doing? Oh, Where are we playing? We're playing
0: cornhole.
1: Playing cornhole, that's right. We're playing cornhole. But we're way far away because this is like, like regulation distance, like way back here. So you show show us how far, Get as far as you can. It. So if you can cross it over. Throw this all the way to the cornhole hole. See, see if we can get it in the hole. Ready, go. Oh, it went over there. Try one of these wipes and see if that works any better. Got to do it right from right here. Really far, really far. As far as you can go. Ah!
0: Oh. Oh, into the azaleas.
1: Now, as an ordinary three-year-old, that's about, that's a pretty good throw. That's That's about as far as Mark's going to get it. But I think we can do something extraordinary, extraordinary if Papa helps you, don't you think? Like we could get it right in the hole, right? Okay, grab a bag. Here we go. I'm going to help you do something extraordinary. Ready, set. Go, we got to
2: fly,
1: we got to fly! Grab it again, grab it again, into the hole! Yeah! Woohoo! That was extraordinary! Extraordinary! <laughs> 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 extraordinary! And that's what we're going to talk about on Sunday. Uh, what is that? August uh, the August, uh, 8th. August the 8th, 9.30 and 11 o'clock. We're going to talk about how God takes our ordinary and turns it into something extraordinary. Can you say that word again? Extraordinary. That's it. (laughs) So, if you didn't guess already, that's kind of our key words for today. I didn't even know our grandson knew the word extraordinary, but he picked it up pretty quick. Something ordinary for a kid turned into something extraordinary when I took him in my arms. And this is what we see. We see God taking His people, taking you, taking me, and through us doing His extraordinary work you know, when Jesus ascended into heaven, and we saw this in the book of Acts when we first started this study, he left behind him this group of ordinary people, men and women, who weren't sure what was going to happen next. He, he, he gave these ordinary people this extraordinary job of making disciples of people all over the world. Now, when they heard that great commission, they probably wondered, how in the world is this going to be possible? There's just a small group, a few people. And so they came together and they wondered how they could possibly do what Jesus was saying. They didn't, weren't sure what was next, what He was calling them to do, what was the next step until the Holy Spirit came on them. And then when God's Spirit came on them, suddenly these ordinary people were able to do extraordinary things for God's kingdom work. And that's what the whole book of Acts is all about. And so, as we've been going through this study, we've been seeing this over and over again. As we come to the last part of chapter 9 today, we're going to see ordinary disciples in ordinary situations, and God takes that and does the extraordinary, the miraculous. If you're not there already, please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. There's a Bible under the chair somewhere around you. If you don't have one, if you have your phone or electronic device, look it up there. Acts chapter nine. We're right near the last part of the chapter. We looked at all the first part. We were talking about Saul and his conversion in the, those first years of his life. In the meantime, though, now Luke's going to take us back to what was happening to Peter. Back in Jerusalem. Remember, back in chapter eight, we saw Peter and John go to Samaria to confirm the believers that the gospel began to go there. And now Peter is going to go to another place, another area that we haven't seen yet, and he's going to find these believers in this town of Lydda or Lydda. It was about 25 miles northwest of Jerusalem. You can see it on a map here. to kind to get the lay of the land. Here's Jerusalem. He's moving towards the coast, 25 miles to Lydda. There's Joppa. That's going to come into play this morning as well. There's Caesarea on up the coast. That's going to come into play in our story next week. So Peter goes just basically to meet these believers that are there. Now, the question is, how did they get there? How is it that there was this church, this group of believers in this little town of Lydda? Well, there's a couple ways this could have happened. Perhaps some of them were there in Jerusalem at the day of Pentecost, back in Acts 2, when we saw what happened. Maybe they were there for the festival. They heard Peter's speech. They heard his message. They heard the gospel, and they responded, became believers, and when they went back home, they started a church there. Or maybe some of those were Christians in Jerusalem and they got scattered by the persecution that happened after Stephen was martyred and they ended up in Lydda and started a church there. Or maybe, as we saw in chapter 8, this was Philip. Remember, after he leads this Ethiopian eunuch to Christ, he's miraculously transported over the coast and he makes his way up the coast to Caesarea and perhaps along the way he stopped in Lydda. One way or another, a church was planted in this little village Peter goes to visit the Lord's people, or the saints as they're called in verse 32. So here at the end of chapter 9, there are two events that you heard read in that passage, two events that show us how God works through our ordinary circumstances to accomplish His extraordinary work. So here's the first of the two that we're going to look at today. An ordinary visit that Peter makes and an extraordinary healing that takes place when he's there. Now, According to the passage and what, the way Luke presents this, Peter's not going there to do a healing. That's not, he doesn't go there to find this guy and is going to heal him and make him walk again. <clears throat> He's just going there to visit the believers. That's what Luke tells us in the passage. Verse 33, he found a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Now, we don't know how Peter found him. We don't even know if this guy was a believer or not. What we do know is that Peter sees that he has this dire need, that he's prompted by God's Spirit to help this man. And maybe Peter thinks about helping because of what he saw Jesus do. Remember, Peter walked with Jesus for those three years, and he saw a couple of occasions where Jesus restored this ability to walk to a lame man. So remember the one that was dropped down through the ceiling? His friends cut a hole, and they drop him down in front of Jesus, and Jesus forgives his sins, and he heals the man. And he walks out of the building. Or maybe Peter was remembering the time when they went to Jerusalem and Jesus intentionally goes to the pool of Bethesda and he finds this lame man. He goes over to them and he raises him up and helps him walk. Peter's remembering how Jesus reached out to the lame, to the blind, to to lepers, to, to the people who were often outcasts that nobody else paid attention to. And Jesus would see them and see their need. And he would do something about it. So Peter is in this situation. He sees this man, and he's moved by God to help. How about us? You know, I think this is, a lot of times we'd see these things and we say, well, I'm not Peter, and I'm not an apostle, and I can't heal somebody who's lame. But there are situations where God puts you in where there's somebody that's hurting around you. Maybe a neighbor or a coworker or a friend or family member, somebody who is hurting. Are we looking for those situations? Are we, like this question, noticing those who are hurting around us and willing to be used by God to minister to them? I think it's a question we have to consider. It can be a convicting question to ask, but the reality is those people are there. Are we willing to interrupt our ordinary day to step into somebody else's pain? Now, we mentioned this a few weeks ago that actually a couple of months ago, that there was a need at Casa de Abbey and down our ministry, mission ministry down in Honduras. Bert and Kim, we prayed for them as they went down, members of our missions committee. They volunteered, not just to, to take out one ordinary day, but 10 days out of their schedule and their ordinary routine to go and be of help in any way that they could. They didn't know what the, all that would entail. They just went willingly and faithfully. And I wanted you to hear this morning a little bit of how God used that. I've asked Bert to come and share a little bit about their time because it's a great example of this, the very thing we're talking about here, how God puts us in situations sometimes we just are available to do the ordinary and God turns it into something extraordinary. Bert, thanks for coming and sharing.
2: Good morning. Uh, Kim is on the way back from visiting family for the last week from Virginia. She's actually driving back right now, and so she's not with us this morning, so uh, I'm solo. Uh, but if, Carson, if you can go ahead and put up the first picture. So as soon as you walk into Casa de Abbey, this is painted on the side, and it's 1 Thessalonians five sixteen and 17, which is, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And the girls, that, the little chicks, there's 11 girls at Cassidy Abbey, and those are the 11 chicks, and the girls call those two birds in the uh, birdhouse Michael and Karen. So, and I, I got to tell you, I just was so blessed. We've been on mission trips all over the world, and Trinity, your fingerprints were all over this trip, and we'll talk about that some a little bit, but I've never felt the support ever of you guys praying for us and just different things you did. So thank you for that. You can go to the next slide. So we're kind of starting backwards. This was the last full day that we were there. And uh, you, Trinity Church, gave money so that we could do an outreach. And so what we did was is that's five 100-pound bags of beans. There's five 100-pound bags of rice. And then there's seven 50-pound bags of maseka or corn flour. And so what we did was – hold up. that on the left hand side is something for another outreach that we did and there's we don't have enough time but the punchline is a man said to michael as he's walking out of the jungle he said i've lived here for over four decades and i've never seen a white man walk out of this jungle and it's a great story love to tell you sometime so go ahead go to the next slide so this is a little naughty we split it all up in little ten-pound bags, if you will. Of course, you can see that she's wearing a good bit of it, um, and you'll see more of that. But it was interesting. I didn't notice this till this morning. But look at her shirt. Her shirt says "Amor," which is the Spanish word for love, right? So we did that. Next slide. Then we packed almost a ton and a half of beans, rice, and flour into the back of this car. So this car is really low, this is Karen's car. Of course, that's Michael on the right, for those who don't know him. And uh, you can see more cornmeal all over their faces. But guess who got to drive this car through the ghettos of Honduras, through these little small villages? And that happened to be me. And I can assure you that the yield signs, the stop signs, the stop lights, and the caution signs are just suggestions in Honduras. So it was a lot of fun. So next slide, please. This is the little church that we went to. And it's, I don't know how to describe it, it's in the middle of nowhere. And so we went to this little church, and we found out that the week before, they were praying for food, that they needed food. And God used you, God used you to provide this food, to answer a prayer 3,000 miles away or whatever it is down in Honduras. That's the pastor in the center with the long sleeve shirt on. He'd bring in a few families, and he would pray over them. And then they would pick up their food. And next slide. We had all kinds of help. This is little Hennessy. She's just so cute we had to put her up there, but she just couldn't stop. She had to help us take these little bags and put them in these little stacks. Uh, And Hennessy is actually the word for Genesis uh, in Spanish. So next slide. This was the picture all the time. these two ladies and many of the ladies, the girls down at Casa Abbey, were all over Kim. In fact, if I went to hold her hand or I went to put my arm around her, they were like a pack of dogs on a three-legged cat, (laughs) protecting (laughs) Kim, I guess, from me. But, in in fact, if you look at the one on, as you're looking at the picture on the right, that is um, Abby, or Abby, they say, and she's looking at me like, life, and you don't. (laughs) But the other one, talk about fingerprints of Trinity, and, but the adult Bible Sunday school, that's Karen on the left in the pink shirt, and she has problems with epilepsy, and the medicine is very expensive. And the adult Bible fellowship that meets at 930, they actually kind of adopted Karen and are helping pay for her medical bills. And so, again, another fingerprint. If you can go to the next slide. We did all kinds of stuff with the kids. Of course, we cooked for them. And in good southern cooking fashion that we're making mac and cheese there, Kim made biscuits and gravy one time, but the hit was chicken and dumplings. Kim made a big pot of chicken and dumplings, and that's little Maria, and she's seven. In a time of about four and a half hours, she literally ate five bowls of chicken and dumplings. So, But a warning, don't ask Kim where she bought the dumplings. She would be offended. She made them. So don't ask her that. But we did all kinds of things. Go to the next, next slide. We played a lot, as you can imagine. We read to them. Uh, they're, they're in their school year, so we helped them with school. At one point, Mike and Karen and Jeff alluded to this, that there's uh, some needs down there, and they had some staffing issues, which is kind of a Honduran thing. And so we got up there, and we were there with a couple of their staff members. Michael and Karen had to be gone all day. And, of course, men came that day, to take care of the place and to work on the security system. and Of course, you have to watch men inside of a girl's home, a trafficked girl's home, right? So we'd watch after that. Kim helped them with some business stuff and some job descriptions. Kim even did some sewing. She sewed up some of their clothes that were ripped and stuff like that. So we had a great time down there. Next slide. This is the first full day that we were there. We went to a market. And it's really rare for me to be nervous speaking in front of you. And if I am, it's usually selfish. Quite honestly, it's, I'm more concerned about what you think about me than what God thinks about me, right? But I, I think I've got a righteous nervousness this morning because I, I want to do so much to represent what God is doing through Michael and Karen. Kim and I have been in Siberia, to Egypt, to the eastern Bloc of Europe. And there's very few people we've met that have the dedication, the passion. If you think about it, what has he done for these little girls? He has rescued them, him and Karen, from great evil. He's redeemed them. Kind of sounds like a familiar story, doesn't it? In fact, while we were there and they were gone, one of the days they were gone the whole day, one of the most traumatized girls uh, said to her psychologist, psychologist told them afterwards, said, there's only two people in the world that I trust. And that's Michael and Karen. What a beautiful picture. So, the girl that's in front of me, her name is Ashley. She was three years old, I think, when three or four, when she came into care. And obviously, there's some traumatic experience with this girl. And so, we're driving, we're all in this one big van, and we're driving through, driving to there. And of course, Karen's saying, Okay, whose hand are you gonna hold? You gotta hold mine or or Michael's hand when you go into the market. We got out of the van, and she came running right over, and she grabbed my hand. And so Ashley was mine for that morning. And the last day that we were there, they get kind of a reward. If they're good, they get to watch a video, a movie on Friday and Saturday night. And the last night we were there, after we did the outreach, we got up there, and I was sitting on the sofa, and she came over, and she sat down beside me, and she put my arm around her. It's just so amazing what love does. And they saw the outreach, and I'm no psychologist, but it's really hard to have a pity party and be depressed when you find people that are worse off than you. I mean, literally, I saw a lady pick up bags of food at that little village, and she started crying because she could feed her family for two or three days. You guys have been amazing. I've never had the opportunity to be supported, ever, the way you guys have supported Kim and I as we went down, and a blessing to Michael and Karen and Cosity Abbey.
1: And thank you, Bert. You didn't know; it's an ordinary. It's a mission trip, so we give some money to provide food. It seems ordinary. Bert and Kim go down driving vehicles, packing bags, playing with kids, cooking food, ordinary, but God and uses it for something extraordinary, to change lives, a prayer of somebody in a village they didn't even know about, to rescue these girls. This story in Acts is about a man who was clearly lame. He could not stand, had been bedridden for eight years, the text tells us, these little girls need, need healing as well. It's not as obvious because a lot of it is inside, but the abuse that they've suffered, they're in need of healing. Michael and Karen are there. We are there as a church to help bring the healing of God, the supernatural, extraordinary healing of God into the lives of these precious girls and so many other people around in that city that their ministry touches. That's what this is about. And God says, if you just be available... An ordinary visit, Peter just goes to this city, and God puts an opportunity in front of him to be used to bring healing into a man's life. I think there's a couple takeaways from this passage. One is that God still heals today. I want you to hear that, to remember that, to know that. It's not always in dramatic ways like this of stand up and walk, but there are Times all over the place where God is stepping in healing relationships, healing physically, healing spiritually, healing emotionally. We, we here at Trinity believe that that's important, that we should pray for healing. So I want you to know that we practice as a leadership team here at Trinity. We follow the guidance of James 5. If somebody, if you ask us to, to come and to pray for you, We will anoint you with oil. We will pray for healing in your life, whatever it may be. We trust God to heal how and when He chooses to, but He invites us to pray for that. So we practice that. So if you would like that at any time, that's why we often open, open this up. We say, ask us, if you want somebody to pray for you, you ask. We would love to do that. The second thing here, though, is that we see God uses this even beyond the healing of this one man. It was about that, but it was about more than that. Verse 35 tells us they saw, when the people of the town saw this, many of them turned to the Lord. So you see, God took this, it wasn't just the extraordinary miracle of healing a lame man, it was the healing of hearts, bringing people to salvation. That's the, even the greater miracle that goes on after this. And so that's the other point we need to make sure we, miss, we don't miss here, is that God's healing often has even a greater purpose, because it may be about somebody's salvation, What are some examples of how, how does that happen? How does God use us in that way? Well, maybe there's somebody that God calls on you to, to pray for, for, for healing, maybe for physical healing. So you hear about somebody and you stop and you personally or on the phone, you pray for that person. Let me pray for God's work and healing in your life. And when God works, when God acts and when God heals, they will know to give glory to God because you prayed for them. Maybe you step into somebody's life where there's financial difficulty and struggle and there, maybe there's healing that's needed there and you pray for them and when God heals, they know that it's an answer to that prayer. When food comes to a village, they know that it's an answer to the prayer that they prayed to God. If you step in and do ordinary praying for somebody, God can do the extraordinary and answering that prayer and drawing that person to himself. Peter was willing to step out, to reach out to somebody who was hurting, and God used that to do this extraordinary work of healing and of salvation. And God wasn't done yet. There's another example here too, an ordinary woman and an extraordinary miracle. This is the last part of our passage today The scene moves to the town of Joppa, about 12 miles away. Verse 36, "...in Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, "'Please come at once.'" So this woman, Tabitha, what we don't know a lot about her other than that she was clearly loved and appreciated there in the church in Joppa. In this case, we know she was a believer. But she was loved and appreciated not because she was an apostle, not because she was a leader, or a pastor, or the worship leader, or a donor to the church. It's because of what she did in using her gifts. Simple, ordinary things, doing good, helping the poor, things that we would not consider extraordinary but because she was faithfully exercising her gifts of mercy and helps, God was working through her. But then she dies, and so the widows of the church are brokenhearted. The church sins for Peter. Again, see our map here. He was about three days journey, or three hours journey away, and so he comes from Lydda to Joppa. And as he makes his way there, you you know, we don't know what he was expecting, that what they were expecting? Was he just going to comfort people? Was he going to lead a funeral? Is he there for a miracle? I don't think Peter knew that ahead of time. I don't think he knew what was, gonna, what was coming. So he goes faithfully and he comes. And I have to think again that he was reminded of Jesus' ministry. Remember, Peter walked for three years with Jesus, he saw the miracles, he saw, heard the teaching. And so, we have the recording of three miracles that Jesus did, right? So, you have Lazarus, probably the most famous, raised out of the tomb after four days there. Then we have Jesus raising the widow's son that she broke into a funeral procession and he stops everything and he raises this boy right out of his casket in the middle of the funeral procession. And then there's the daughter of Jairus, the temple synagogue leader. And this story has some amazing parallels to what happens in Joppa. So I want to read you the passage from Mark chapter 5. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, that's Jairus, Jesus saw a commotion with the crying, wailing loudly, and He went in and He said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at Him. And after He put them all out, He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with Him, which by the way was Peter. He was one of only three that was there. They went into where the child was. And He took her by the hand and He said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Well, what about Peter in Joppa? What does he do? Look at chapter 9, verse 40. Peter sent them all out of the room, just like Jesus had done. He got down on his knees and he prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, "Tabitha kum, that would be the Aramaic for Tabitha, get up. And she opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. So look at these phrases. Jesus says, Talitha kum, little girl, get up. Peter says, Tabitha kum, Tabitha, get up. And she comes back to life. And this, by the way, this is an extraordinary miracle. Only three times in the ministry of Jesus, only twice in the book of Acts. We're going to see this one other time as we move through the book of Acts. A guy named Eutychus who falls asleep in church. So let this be a warning to you. <laughs> Peter, Paul is preaching and he's sitting in a window and he falls asleep. He falls out the window, dies Paul feels so bad about it, he goes down and and he raises this guy back to life. That's the only other time we see this in the book of Acts. And so I have to ask the question here, why would God choose to do this extraordinary miracle of raising the dead here in this little town of Joppa for this ordinary woman who sewed dresses? Why would He choose her? Why not Stephen? Remember, we saw this back in chapter 7. He gives this great speech. He's stoned to death. Wouldn't that have been a great time for God to tell Peter, raise Stephen from the dead? I mean, everybody in Jerusalem would have seen it. It would have caused an amazing commotion. But God didn't choose to raise Stephen. He chose to raise Tabitha, this faithful, behind-the-scenes servant of God. And I think... What's going on here? Verse 41 says, He took her by the hand and He helped her to her feet, and He called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. I think God was showing them, the church, the early church, the value of mercy, of simple service. And I think He wants us to know that that kind of ministry is not ordinary at all. In God's hands, it's extraordinary the value of faithful behind-the-scenes ministry. I'll give you another example of that, that. Maybe you heard this story of Lillian Weber. She had a pretty simple goal. It was to make a dress a day, little girls' dresses, very simple design for little girls, orphan girls in Africa. She was working with a Christian ministry that was there. And so this would seem rather ordinary, except that when she decided this, she was in her 90s, And her goal was to make a thousand dresses by the time she turned a hundred. And not only did she make that, she surpassed that. She made a thousand fifty-one dresses by the by her one hundredth birthday. And then she didn't stop. She kept making dresses. Now, why is this so significant? Well, I saw an interview with the person who runs this ministry called Little Dresses for Africa. And they are asking, well, why do you ask? Why do you ask for these dresses for these little girls? And she said, well, these little girls, when they're wearing a pretty homemade dress, it's clear that they are cared for, that they are loved, that they're watched. And so those who would, choose, would want to, to kidnap them and enslave them, which is a danger there, are going to stay away from them because they see that they're cared for, because they're wearing a dress. God takes something ordinary like hand making a little dress and He turns it into an extraordinary way that through this organization to rescue these little girls in Africa. And so, you may wonder, what, who, if anybody knows about the things that you're doing for God's kingdom, maybe you think that sometimes, does anybody know or care that I do this or I pray for that or I give to this? If nobody knows, what's, what difference is it making? And I want you to see this, that God honors those things, faithful service that's done for Him behind the scenes, even if nobody knows, even if you think nobody cares, God knows, God sees, God cares. And He wants to take what you may think is ordinary, and He wants to use it for something extraordinary in His kingdom work. God had another reason, too. And we see the same thing we saw in the previous one. Look at verse 42. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. So again, sometimes God does this, this extra extraordinary work, these miracles, because He is reaching people with the gospel. He takes our ordinary service, what may seem insignificant to us, and He uses it in an extraordinary way to draw people to Himself. One more thing I want you to see in this passage as we close because this restoration of life, giving life back to Tabitha, is a great picture of what Jesus has done for us. Listen to the words of Jesus. We'll have it on the screen as well. John chapter 5, verses 24 to 26. Powerful words. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to death. To life, Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. The Bible says that we're dead in our sins, but when we respond to the voice of Jesus who calls us to life, Jesus says, then I give life to those that I call, and they will never die. Eternal life as God's gift. If you think this is a miracle that Peter raised this woman back to human, earthly life, how much more is the miracle that God pours out on us when He calls us to eternal spiritual life And we sang it this morning, right? The very first song we sang, The Resurrected One is Resurrecting Me. It's a reminder that that life of Jesus is given out to us. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, He is resurrecting you. He is giving you His life. At this point, you know, after we get to the end of chapter 9, Peter must have been flying high. I mean, all that has just happened to him, He, he sees this lame man healed, he sees this woman who's brought back from the dead, the people are coming to Christ in both of these towns that he's visited. And so Peter decides, well, I'm just going to stick around here a little longer. God's obviously working. And so he does that. Verse 43 says, Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. But what he doesn't know is that God is preparing here for something even more extraordinary. Peter doesn't even know it's coming yet. We're going to see it when it comes next week. Pastor Nick's going to take us into chapter 10 and chapter 11 as we see what happens when Peter gets called to, to, up to Caesarea. Caesarea. But the very end here is a little bit of it's, there's a little kind of indicator of what's coming. A little hint, chapter of what's ha- coming in chapter 10. So Peter is staying at the home of this guy who's a tanner, right? What is a tanner? Is somebody who takes the hides off animals and dries them to make it leather and making things out of those hides. Well, that may seem rather ordinary. Peter just happened to be staying with him. but You need to know that was something that was considered unclean, ceremonially unclean. The rabbis would not go anywhere near a house like that. So here's Peter in this home surrounded by the skins of all these dead animals, and God is about to teach him something about what is clean and what is unclean. He's just going to rock Peter's fishing boat in this next passage. That's going to come in chapter 10. He's going to see that God's ways are higher than His ways. God's ways are higher than our ways. And I hope you've seen that in this passage today as well. How your ordinary faithful service can be transformed by God to His extraordinary purposes. You know, if you haven't seen that yet in your life, then there's an opportunity coming up for that. You've heard us start talking about this fall celebration, how we're doing it different this year we're going to get out into the community. We're going to need, as we've said, everybody. There's a job for everybody. But it may seem like menial tasks, you know, running a, a little fun booth or handing out food or, or helping with cleanup and collecting garbage. We're going to need all of that, menial, ordinary tasks so that the extraordinary word of the gospel can go out to people in our community who need to hear it. The ordinary. The ordinary that God can turn into something extraordinary. And we want everybody at Trinity to be a part of that. Notice that in your life. As you go through this week, look at the ordinary things that God may be calling you to. Invitation to pray for somebody, to speak to somebody, to encourage somebody, to step into somebody's pain, to talk to somebody about life in Christ. How can God use that ordinary word that ordinary act and use it to accomplish his extraordinary purpose. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to be available for you. We want to we want to be used by you in these ways things that we cannot do in and of ourselves. We don't have the power, we don't have the ability, but Lord, you've shown us that when we're faithful just to do what you would call us to do in the simple ordinary behind the scenes unseen ways. When we will serve, you can use that to accomplish the miraculous, the unexpected, the extraordinary. And Lord, we want that to be the case in our lives, in our church, in our community. We want to see those extraordinary acts of your hand through our lives. Lord, thank you that you have given us this promise, this promise of of victory that comes through you victory of new life, victory of healing, victory of winning over the ravages of sin in our lives. And we thank you that we are called in, invited in to that victorious life. Lord, remind us of that every single day we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.